0: Anyway, well, welcome to Ascension, and uh, some of you are here by bad fortune. You came because you were looking for prayer, which is an important thing. And after the service tonight, uh, there'll be some people available for you. Uh, But tonight is the night in which we commemorate, we remember the Ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the early church, other than the day of resurrection and crucifixion, uh, the Ascension was the most important feast because they remembered in the Ascension... Uh, The great watershed of all of history is divided on this day that we remember, remember, and that's the ascension. And that is, it is the ceasing of all the earthly ministries of Christ, or mysteries as they're called, uh, and it's the beginning of his eternal mysteries and ministries in heaven. So what do we mean when we say that? You know, we just had uh, the gospel read to us in Luke chapter 24, and he said, uh, you know, wait, and then the Holy Spirit, the promise of my Father, which is... That you'd have a new heart and a new capacity to know God and to be purified and to keep His laws—all these great promises of the Father in the Old Testament—Jesus said that they were to wait uh, in Jerusalem until that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and the promise of His Father would be fulfilled. You know, it's not a little thing to imagine that the Holy Spirit would come upon in a way that He did not in the Old Testament when He came upon prophets and other things for for a time, almost like a smearing on the outside, now the Holy Spirit was going to dwell richly within them. Now Jesus had already breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But they're waiting for this power of God, for the gifts and the presence of God uh, in his uh, ascension, then the Holy Spirit descending, for an ongoing uh, relationship with him uh, on the inside, with the Holy Spirit. So that's not a little. The Bible says that... uh, that God is too holy to behold iniquity. Uh, So for God to come and live inside of us, not just having an intellectual connection, but to live inside of us was a very profound thing. And it required a number of steps, which we describe in the earthly uh, mysteries. So if you have your notes there, I say on the first page, you have two pages. I have it blown up into 16-point font, so I have like five pages, but it's the same thing. All right, And so you have in the earthly mysteries of Jesus, these ministries, these things in which he did. And the first is, we have the mystery of his holy incarnation. And that is that the eternal word, or the second person of the Trinity. See, Jesus was born in a certain time and date. But according to his divinity, he existed from eternity past. He is God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. Meaning he is always in a relationship with the Father. There was never a time in which the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of the eternal Word, there is never a time when he was not into existence. I'm sorry, I thought everyone got one of these, sorry. Don's job is to make sure of that, and I'm sorry that he didn't do it. People were refusing them early. Now they want them, though, don't they? Did everybody get the notes? Some of you care, some of you won't care, but if you Though some of you go home and read them, and it might be benefited. benefit. All right, so the first thing is that God became man. So at 2,000 years ago, God intervened in human history, even after there had been a rebellion of the devil before the creation. Then there was a rebellion by man in the garden with Adam and Eve, and then there was 2,000 years uh, in which God revealed to people himself more and more to the Old Testament covenants. And then, 2,000 years ago, the second person of the Trinity became man. He was conceived of the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. So one of the great things is he joined himself to our nature and became one of us in the incarnation. Incarnation is a big word, which means that God became man. That's the first of the mysteries. The second is his baptism. I mean, we could look at the circum... we We could go through more, but we're just looking at the big ones. Let's look at his baptism. He was baptized by John the Baptist. And what was John the Baptist's baptism of? It was a baptism of repentance, but Jesus had never sinned. So why would Jesus be baptized for a baptism of repentance? What? For us. Well, how is it for us? I agree with you on that one. for us. So... He joined himself to the team of all those who are repentant of their sins and wanted to be right with God. So in his baptism, the baptism of John, it was a baptism of repentance. And in that baptism, when he was baptized, he didn't have sins, but he already became a human being in his birth, a conception and birth. Now he becomes one of us on the team of all those who would repent of our sins and turn to God. So he joins, he joins our team as becoming a person, a human being. Then he joins our team in terms of all those who would come to repentance and turn to God, seeking salvation in God. So he joins himself uh, to that. Then he has his perfect life in ministry. And imagine, without any sin, the Bible still says in Hebrews that he was perfect or made mature or complete through suffering. So it's through all the rejection. I mean, first he was a carpenter for 30 years. I mean, you say 30 years, he... You know, he would have grown up as Joseph would have been teaching him. Somewhere along the line, Joseph apparently died. We don't know exactly when, uh, but he was raised to be a carpenter as a little boy. And so at 30, he ceases that and he comes into his public ministry in which he becomes prophet, priest, and king. He's prophet and then he tells us a new way. He preaches and teaches. He's king by perfect example. And he is priest, high priest, both in uh, his offering of the sacrifice and then being the sacrifice so he takes on these things in his earthly ministry these are mysteries how a holy god would condescend and come to us and do these things for us the book of philippians in the second chapter says that he did all this not considering his equality with god who he was as god something to be held on to but he emptied himself not of his person or the fact he never stopped being 100 percent god but he emptied himself of operating under all the prerogatives are privileges of his divinity. Meaning, according to his being the second person of the Trinity, he knew everything. But when he became man, he was willing to live without the benefit of all the fullness of who he was. He didn't stop being fully God, but he humbled himself and he allowed himself to live and to really be a baby and to really be a young boy and to really be a, a young man and then to do the things and then to suffer and die on the cross. He allowed himself to go through all those things. So one of the mysteries, of course, is then that he suffered, not only in his life, but then in his death on the cross. He was buried. Uh, The Bible says he descended into death, and he set captivity captive, meaning all those people who lived in faith in the Old Testament, they were in the green room. Do you know what the green room is? Well, I've never been to the green room, but uh, apparently on the old Bob Barker Price is Right, and they have a new one with Drew Carey, I guess. I've never seen the new one. But uh, we grew up and you know, The Price is Right was a big TV show when we were children. You, you didn't see this? Someone's shaking their head and someone looks disgusted. I'm sorry. The Price is Right, big show. I don't have many cultural connections. Here it goes. So apparently on the talk shows and things and in The Price is Right, you would be waiting in the green room. And for some reason, they'd have like the vegetables, the fruit. you'd be waiting before you went on, like on uh, 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 different talk shows and TV shows. That you have the green room, that's where the people that are going to be on the show wait and eat snacks and things before they actually get on the, the green room. All right. The Bible calls that Abraham's bosom. Laughter? Never heard that before. Yeah, you know, can't, can't do anything for bad training, no. So Abraham's bosom, they're waiting. Uh, in the story of Lazarus, Jesus refers to it. So he goes, and all those people who had gone and they had died... But they did not go to the place of torment because they were people who had faith that one day the Messiah would come to the degree in which the Old Testament had taught it and they understood it, Adam and Eve, you know, David, all kind of people, Moses, Abraham, Elijah, Elisha, all these different ones in the Old Testament that were living in faith, anticipating by faith that God would keep his promises and his covenant, uh, they were there waiting. And when he died, he didn't go down and preach uh, so much the demons and the devil, he went down and he rescued all those who had been waiting for him to come. They had looked to him into the future without full understanding, but they had been waiting by faith. And he went and he got them and he uh, took captivity captive. What, what death had captured, he released and he set free. Uh, and so he who was the one who descended also, who is he? Not the except for the one that also ascended. Uh, the Christ did that. He's the one who went down and rescued all those people. Uh, I think Psalm 61, 62, 66, I think you can read about that in those chapters. Ephesians chapter 5 refers to it as well. But in any case, so it's crucifixion, death, and burial. And then, after three days, the life in him, by his divine person and nature, it was wrestling with death, and death exploded and lost. Meaning he he could not not resurrect. It was impossibility for him not to be resurrected from the dead because according to his divine nature and who he was, there was no way for death to defeat him. And so after three days, uh, whatever time, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons exactly why three days. All we know is that it, in three days, the life was restored in him and he was released uh, from all the things that death tried to impose. Uh, and he was uh, able to, to uh, get out of his garments and his glorified body. Uh, that had kept him back like Lazarus, wrapped around like a mummy. He was able to get through all those. He was able, uh, you know, we don't know uh, if the angels opened it, but people presume that Jesus opened it up or walked through it, that the angels, if they opened it, they opened it so that we could see in, not to let Jesus out. He didn't need any help with that. So these are the mysteries that he did. And then, then in the ascension, after 40 days after his resurrection, he teaches, uh, he encourages, he brings hope, clarification, explains the Old Testament how it was fulfilled in his life and ministry, and then the ascension. So he completes all those things so that sinful mankind could be restored to the plans and the purposes that God had originally for Adam and Eve in the garden prior to the fall, before sin messed it up. And then he ascends into heaven. And in the ascension, he begins the heavenly mysteries. And there are two primarily things. It's really one ministry, two mysteries. And the first one is, He is there in heaven taking his place at the right hand of God the Father, a place of preeminence. Uh, It's a word that is an expression there to give us an understanding of the place of preeminence that he has with God the Father. And as he's there, he is there pleading eternally his one sacrifice, meaning he died once on the cross, but that sacrifice once given on the cross, the benefits of it, Uh, Are eternal. And and the Bible says he's an eternal high priest and he'll never cease uh, in his intercession of that, meaning he stands and he makes a pleading. So the pleading of a lawyer in the old way of talking and the one it says in Hebrews is that Jesus made the pleading by being present, meaning it's not the words that Jesus says, which is him always interceding and pleading his blood. He pleads his blood by his presence of his perfect sacrifice. So it's by his person being present with the father and seeing the nail prints and the side and all the things that he went through, the pleading is that he's present. So when a lawyer makes a pleading before a judge is that he comes before the judge in person. All right? it's, we think of the pleading more in terms of uh, our thinking, at least a lot of people's, is that it's the words that the lawyer says. That's not The pleading is that he comes present to do that. So Jesus, he pleads not by the words, but by the presence of his crucified and glory body at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And so that's what he's doing. So he is the mediator. He is the key. He came down and he brought heaven down and joined our nature. He goes up because we're connected to him by faith. And so he brings us with him to all those who are connected with him. That's why we can have boldness and confidence to go before the throne of grace because we're connected with him and he brought mankind He was the first one human being. He had always been there in eternity past, but he becomes man, does all these things to connect us and save us, and then he takes that and he brings us all by faith connected and he seats us with him in the heavenly places so that we have an address there, we have a a reality there, a connectedness there, um, which is profound and gives us access to benefits that if he did not go, we would not have the right to the benefits, namely... The presence of the Holy Spirit in us. Meaning, when Jesus died on the cross, our sins were forgiven. But propitiation, he did two great things. He removed the sin, all the wrath and punishment for sin, but he also granted us eternal life. So, in his death on the cross, he forgives all of our sins. We get back to zero. Okay? But it's in his resurrection and ascension that he takes us with him up into glory, our heaven and the seated at the right hand of God the Father. So by bringing us there, he gives us access and opens up to us life eternal, which is a whole different shift, meaning it's just as powerful and unbelievable. I mean, it's one thing to say our sins are forgiven, but, it, but that just means we, would, we could live forever or whatever. That, that the, the sin brings us to zero. It's the eternal life. And it's because he brought us into a new category or quality of life by bringing us with him into heaven that the Holy Spirit is now able to descend. Now what happens is the Father in the Ascension pours out glory and honor, according to the book of Hebrews. Glory and honor, all these things, because Jesus was successful in his mission. So when he ascends, theoretically, the Father could have rejected the Ascension, just as he could have rejected the cross, theoretically. Okay, Of course he did not, because it was perfect sacrifice, it was done correctly, so, so it doesn't, right? So in the Ascension, it's as if this, the, the crescendo of the Father's glorious gifts and honor and praises which are being bestowed upon Jesus. It's as if the universes are so big that it took 10 years for the sound of that to break through and to shatter the darkness for the Holy Spirit to descend. It's just, I mean, it's like this tidal wave happened in heaven when Jesus sends. But it's as if that the space and the time of, of all the universes that exist, it's as if it took 10 days for the whole universe to be shaken with the profundity of the Father's glorious uh, approval of the Son and the completion of his ministry and his mission. So then on 10 days from now, on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends. All right, And he shares, the Bible says, Jesus shares all the glory and honor and the gifts that come with his presence. Now the Spirit conveys the presence of Jesus into our hearts by faith. And with him, he brings the kingdom. The kingdom brings itself with forgiveness. It brings a new stature, a new nation, adoption, nature, not nation, nature. Uh, nature. And it brings with them the presence of Jesus, and the love of Jesus is connected with his presence. And therefore, the love of Jesus and his presence manifests in the gifts of the Spirit at whatever appropriate occasion. So we're empowered both to be holy. They're fruits of the Spirit, meaning because the presence of Jesus conveyed by the Holy Spirit, is given to us. We have a new nature, and we're able then to live a new way by His Spirit, by the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit, to those who have tarried, waited upon Him, received not only salvation, but that life coming in fullness, uh, in which then there's the overflow of the spiritual gifts that also come by means of the Spirit, so that we can do the very things that Jesus did. That's what He promised in the book of John. So there's this very big thing. So, he brings in his earthly mysteries, incarnation, baptism, ministry, suffering, cross, burial, death, resurrection. And then, that's half of everything, then the ascension for all eternity. He enters into his role and stays there as eternal priest, and he stays as our mediator, never ceasing. There will never be a day when Jesus will have his wound prints healed meaning four billion years from now, it'll never be a time when Jesus isn't there as the crucified and resurrected one. He'll always be there. You'll know him. You see a Jesus without the nail prints, be very suspicious. Be very suspicious. No real Jesus won't have the nail prints. He'll always will. All right? So he's always going to be there in that place, and he's always going to intercede with us with this pleading of his presence, uh, which is, again, primarily... Uh, it's an intercession by presence, standing in the gap for us. Uh, we stand in the gap by our prayers. He stands in the gap by his presence. Now, that's not to say he's not saying words to and praying for us, I don't know. But, but in the Bible, what these words, he's there and it it's his presence which brings the pleading. It's his presence which intercedes. All right, Meaning he's already fully given his heart for us uh, in our place. And he's already connected himself in the incarnation of baptism to our estate. He washed us in His blood, so all these things He's those are already the Father already knows the complete dedication of the Son, all right? And so for all eternity, that's where Jesus will be. And the difference is there will be a day when we'll die in this life, or Jesus will return, and we will see Him as He is, and we'll be like Him. All right, but this is the day we commemorate that Jesus completed successfully His mission and returned to the Father and the beauty of the community of the Trinity. Uh, in that way, bringing glorified humanity up into the very heart of God. First Peter says that we're in this way we're able to participate with the divine nature. Uh, we participate by His presence of the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit living within us. We can have part of and, and participate at some uh, limited way, but but a real way in the very community of the Trinity, because Jesus ascended. So there's all these benefits and blessings. Now, in the communion service tonight, and as we do every Sunday, for those who are familiar with it, we lift the chalice and the cup. And what we do is, and the reason we lift them up in the service is, it is a liturgical act reminding us and the Father of the cross of Jesus Christ and His ascension. That the one who was broken, who shed His blood for us, because He ascended, which is why we lift those things, you will notice there will be the ring of the bells, and we'll be lifting those things, we lift them to remind ourselves and the Father that we're coming and joining ourselves in the mediatorial role and the intercession of Jesus, that the one who was ascended has been approved by the Father. And the Father has welcomed him home and poured out glory upon him. So as we lift up our prayers and our time together in worship and we come in communion, we're asking the Father to remember Jesus and therefore to pour out more of the Spirit. And as the Father, we remind the Father of Jesus The Father can't help but responding with joy and affirmation to the ministry of Jesus. And as we remember and are part of that lifting up of Jesus, the Father is continuing for all eternity, pouring out glory and honor upon the Son. And the Son, Jesus, is sharing with his brothers and sisters, the Bible says, all the gifts and the prerogatives and privileges of his sonship he shares with us so that he even calls us brothers and sisters. He tells us to boldly come to the throne of grace. He tells us we have all this access, all this status comes to us because we're God's people by the ministry and the love and our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that we have by his grace and through our faith. So I don't know if you could track with all that. That's why there's notes there if you want to read. I I hope it will help you. But this is a really tremendous night. And And the prayer is on one of these ascension nights that the Holy Spirit would manifest in our time and space, and this time with us, in a profound way. Uh, That the joy of the Father in receiving and welcoming the Son in a job well done, that all that glory and honor that's been been poured out into Jesus for all these years, 2,000 years hence from that time, that in a special way, one of these ascensions, the Father would see fit to move and shake us here, and to allow us to enter in even to a more profound way than we have in the past. That's our prayer tonight, that together, we would experience in new ways the glorious eternal mysteries of Jesus as mediator and intercessor. And that that shifting, that connectedness by the blood of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that it would transform us and make us better sons and daughters uh, of God. People who live by faith but are transformed powerfully by His Spirit. So that's the ambition and the, the prayer of the service tonight. There's not music, so it's a little bit different. Um, uh, we'll... I think it's going to say offering. We're not taking an offering tonight. We just need the pause to prepare the altar. Uh, so we're just going to take a, a moment then. There'll be no singing until the very end. After the final blessing, we'll close by singing a few verses of Amazing Grace uh, after the end of the communion service. If people are, came here for prayer, it's almost certain that there are people who will pray for you. Uh, so after the service, and we dismiss the service service, we'll invite you to come, and then uh, I'm sure there'll be people who'll be glad to pray for you Uh, tonight. So, Lord Jesus, tonight we come and we're so thrilled with your glorious plan. And and we think through all the mysteries, Uh, Lord, these spiritual truths and things that you did for us uh, that are so far beyond what we could ever expect. We don't know how but to worship you and to thank you for your goodness. And Lord, when we begin to comprehend a little bit, it's a little piece, uh, our apprehend, the part of, of what it means that you are our eternal mediator. And that what you did, you did for us, and that it provides all these benefits. We have not begun to understand all the great things that you've done for us. We begin to share in your spirit and your life and your salvation, but, but Lord, we're hungry for more. And I pray tonight that as we lift up our prayers, your spirit would descend as we lift up our praise and worship of you, Father, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that we could participate in this beautiful circle of worship and presence that as our prayers ascend, the Spirit would descend, that you would transform us and make us more like Jesus, that we'd be more empowered to be holy and more empowered to be your witnesses, both by our speech, by holy life, and by the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. We pray these things because we are hungry and thirsty. We really need you, Lord. We really need you, so we ask for you. We pray these things in the most precious and wonderful name, the name of Jesus, and in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.